0: I've been really bad about remembering to hit that record. Anymore, so. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Well, good morning. It is good to be back. It's been a long time. I got to looking at my notes from last time I was up here with, for Sunday school, October twenty fourth. And November, don't, we don't even want to talk about November. <laughs> we are in the book of Hebrews, and I'm not going to go back and give a, a review of what we've done so far in the book of Hebrews. But as I was pointed out in the last time I was up here, Jesus is is our high priest. Now, that's an interesting thing to say because Israel had a high priest, uh, and when they came out of Egypt, the tabernacle traveled with them, basically a big tent, and this tent was, in, God gave the instructions how to build this tent. And it was built with three sections. There was the outer court that, around it, and this basically had the, uh, the altar and certain other basins and uh, places of purification and and then there was an inner court where the where the priests did their duties and where the showbread was and uh, where many of the other things took place, the washings and and various um, various uh, consecrated. Uh, things were brought to the Lord, and and these tithes and offerings were made, and that was in the this inner court. But then there was yet another inner part, and inside this was a veil, a curtain of that covered this area inside, and in here was the Ark of the Covenant. With a cherubim on top of the lid of this uh, ark. And there, were, there was instructions in, in the Old Testament on, on all of this. What was, you know, even the curtains. They had knops uh, and pomegranates. Now I'm not sure what a knob is. But it said knobs and pomegranates around the base of this curtain. I don't know if there were weights or what they were, but this was a heavy curtain that enclosed the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies. This is where that Ark of the Covenant was kept. And now this was made of a certain kind of wood and it was co- covered with gold. And it had... Gold inside and outside, covering the this box. It's a heavy box. So, and uh, all of this was they in, inside the Ark of the Covenant were things like there was a pot of manna kept in there, which is interesting because in, as they gathered it in the wilderness. It would rot. It didn't inside the Ark of the Covenant, which is interesting. They kept a pot of manna in there, they kept other things inside there, but this was all the inner parts. And they sa- it said that between the cherubim that were on top of the lid of this Ark of the Covenant, was the place that God inhabited. This inner sanctuary was a place that was that the high priest was allowed to go into one time a year. One time. To make sacrifices for himself first and also for the people. And when he went in there, He had certain responsibilities, things to do, but they tied a rope to his ankle as he went in. In case anything should happen to him, he was the only one allowed in there, the only one ever to go into that inner sanctuary. And that was only once a year. And they had bills around the... the, base of his robe so that they could hear when he moved around inside there to make sure he was still alive. Because there were certain warnings and threats that God made. He says, you do things the way I want them done when you're in there. Okay? Now this high priest was the only one. That one man was appointed he was of the line of Aaron. He was of the Aaronic priesthood, but he was that one man that was appointed to be the high priest that, during that time. And, of course, he was one of the older men, usually, and they passed on, and, an, and another high priest was appointed. But this is some background information, because this is what I want to talk about, is that position of high priest. It was an exalted point. It was, it was not something that somebody took upon themselves. You couldn't say, oh, sign me up, I want to be high priest. No, 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 no. No, that didn't happen that way. It was one who was not elected even, he was appointed. It was an appointment. He said, like, tag, you're it. And it was a scary position. They tied that rope around a man's ankle so they could drag him out if anything should happen to him while he was in there because no one else dared to go in. So, with all that as a background, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 5. And verse 4 says, And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Okay, this is talking about that high priesthood. He said, so also Christ glorified not himself to be made high priest. But he that said unto him, thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. That is God the Father, God himself, who said this of Jesus. And he's the one who chose Jesus to be high priest. And he is chosen to be high priest for the whole world, not just the nation of Israel, but for all mankind. Verse 6, As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. This is speaking of Jesus as our high priest, and, of course, it's speaking of his, his death on the cross to pay the price of our sins. That is what he suffered. And he, I think he knew that this was his purpose, why he came. And yet he cried in the garden and asked God, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me this wasn't something he looked forward to doing he was a man he was and yet he was the son of god but as a man he feared it says who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared though he were a son yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered he went ahead and did the will of the father paid the price of our sins though it cost him his life as a man he gave up a lot gave up he suffered pain and suffering on the cross that was unbelievable the roman cross was not a pretty thing to see the bones were torn apart and the the ligaments and joints were unable to hold the body up and it would sag to where they couldn't breathe this was a, a terrible way to die and yet Jesus says he learned obedience by the things he, which he suffered Obedience to God the Father. Now, it's not as though he were disobedient to begin with. But this was the thing that God said. It said that the soul that sinneth it shall surely die. And that is the price that mankind had on itself. For the sin of rejecting God in the Garden of Eden. And Jesus came and paid the price for me and for you, for all of mankind. But verse 9 there in chapter 5 says, And being made perfect, perfect, he became the author author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. All of them that obey him. Is that all you have to do? Obey, obey Christ? What, what was Christ's commandment? That you love one another. That was his main commandment. What about, what about us? Do we find ourselves failing in that? Saying, how can I get along with this person? They're always crabby. They're always mean. They're always... God says love them anyway. God died for the ungrateful, the mean, the terrible. If they would turn from their sin and obey him. That's what he calls for. Verse 10 says, Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, now, there's a lot to, to be said about Melchizedek that, that we don't know now. Even then, they didn't fully understand everything about that order because it says that he had no beginning and no end. And I'm not sure how you, how a human being does that. But Abraham offered offerings after he had gone to, to war with these three kings. Abraham just himself, he went to war against three kings at one time and God gave him the victory and as he was returning with the spoils of victory from that battle, he met Melchizedek and gave a tenth of all of the spoils to him as representing a priest of God. I I don't understand all that there is to know about Melchizedek or, or about Abraham, for that matter. But these things were an honor. Abraham honored Melchizedek as God's priest. So he was... Um, given that honor and Jesus is called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek a different order than the Aaronic priesthood so here we have uh, Jesus Christ being that priest, that high priest after the order of Melchizedek let's turn to chapter 6 here in Hebrews I'll begin reading in verse 9 now this is he had said that um, there were things that people were to follow and to uh, there were certain direction that is given in the scripture but he says we're going to leave these things the beginnings the things that were taught the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and from faith toward God and of the doctrine of baptisms and the laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. He says we're, these are fundamental principles and we're leaving that and we're going to go on Beyond that, to serve God, he says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world world to come, that is the age that is yet to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance." seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. He says this, this is terrible, the people that do this, who have tasted of that God is good, that God is loving, that he provides for his people. And then he says that it, it's like if you were a piece of ground and you brought forth nothing but thorns and thistles and didn't bring forth crops when they were planted, when the rain falls on it and it receives that moisture. And if it brings forth thorns and thistles, what do people do? They burn it. It's good for nothing else. You burn that. Burn it off. Try and kill those weed seeds. In verse 9 here, it says, But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. Even though we're saying this, we are persuaded. Now, this is the author of this book of Hebrews talking to Hebrew Christians. He says, We're persuaded better things of you. He says in verse 10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work of, and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints, and do minister. We, God has seen what you've done, and he knows that you have done these things from a right heart. And he knows that. And we desire, verse 11, And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That is an interesting phrase. He says there's more yet to come. And we want you to have the full benefit of this. So we want you to show the same diligence that you have shown in in your tithes and offerings, your uh, good deeds The things that you have done for for the Christian brethren. God has seen that, and he is faithful to reward you for those things. But we want you to get that full benefit of the full assurance of hope unto the end. Now this this is something that is spoken of. The Apostle Paul spoke of it when he went to Corinth, or when he sent his letter to Corinth, the um or not Co- Corinth, but Colossae. The church at Colossae. And he spoke of the of the I'm I'm gonna turn there. Colossians chapter two. And he says, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. This was the Apostle Paul's writing this church to this church at Colossae. And he spoke of the church at Laodicea here as well. He says these are people that he hadn't ever seen, but he knew of their faith. Um, verse 2 says that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of the understanding of the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He says, I want this for you. I want you to have that full assurance that that your hearts might be comforted being knit together in love and into all the riches of the full assurance of understanding of the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. What's the mystery of God? That the Gentiles are brought in to God's family through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. This is something that was hidden. The prophet's prophesied of it but didn't understand angels desired to look into what God's plan was but they didn't know either but this has been revealed through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and so here we have this and he says that your hearts might be comforted together in the acknowledgement of this mystery of God and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, And so, let's go back there again to Hebrews. To Hebrews chapter 6. We desire that every one of you do show forth the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope unto the end. That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now notice there are two things required here. Faith and patience. Wow. Faith is A big enough thing. That's believing. But what's patience? Why is patience required? Well, for those of us who are Americans, living in the 21st century, able to find any kind of information we want on Google, uh, instant gratification, we can... We see something we want to buy, we can order it on Amazon and have it delivered the next day. It wasn't always like that. People didn't have cars, they walked or rode a horse or a mule or a camel or something if they had one. Most people didn't. People's lives were different then. I wonder how much different our lives would be if we didn't have all the modern day conveniences that we have. Well, it says patience. Now, for those who inherit the promises that they they do it with faith and patience. Verse 13 goes on, he says, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. God multiplied Abraham's seed to become the nation of Israel. And not only the nation of Israel, but the Arab nations as well. They go back to Father Abraham. They may call him Ibrahim, but it's the same man. So he became the father of two nations there. But it goes on, and through Jesus Christ, he became the father of all those who follow him by the same kind of faith that Abraham had. God made a promise to Abraham. And when he did, he swore by himself. Who else is God going to swear by? What kind of, what, what is higher than God? There is nothing. He swore by himself. Saying, surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And he did. And so after that he, that is Abraham, had patiently endured, how long did Abraham endure? He was called out of the Ur, the Chaldees. This is up in Iraq and Iran, up in there. He was called out of that area between, uh, there in Mesopotamia. And called to go, he says, go and I will... Give you a land. I'll make you great. I'll make you a father of many nations. And God did. But Abraham had faith all through his life. And he believed God. Not only uprooting himself from his home and his family. And going off to some foreign place. That he had never seen. But he was turned into the father of nations. And he received that promise through faith with patience all through his life. That's the kind of faith. Believing that God could do what he said he would do and going. Just get up and go. Wow. We need that kind of faith? (laughs) Ha ha. Me? (laughs) Yes. That's what God calls for. That's the kind of thing that he says here. But he patiently endured and obtained the promise. This promise made to Abraham hasn't been fully fulfilled in that those who by faith that Abraham had enter in to God's service. They become the children of Abraham also by faith. Verse 16, it says, For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath of, for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. He says, somebody swears, this, I swear on a stack of Bibles or whatever. Whatever is the most important thing in the world to them They swear by that, and they say, okay, okay, you believe that? I believe you. You'll do that. Uh, But God didn't swear by something on earth or something even by stars or the heavens or the planets or whatever. He swore by himself. He says, I will accomplish this, and I will do it. What greater promise can we have Verse 17 says, Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability, the, um, the permanent character of his word, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. He confirmed what he said, which he can't lie to begin with, but he confirmed it with an oath that by two immutable things, that is, unchangeable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. This hope that God made possible through Jesus Christ. And so we have fled for refuge What's refuge? It's a safe place. Jesus Christ is that safe place. Our faith in him. With patience. Like Abraham's patience. But it's lifelong patience. It's continuing, ongoing, daily faith in God. Believing that what God said, he will do. Just as Abraham did. which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Now that's an interesting thought. Our, my soul is anchored to God in, to those immutable promises, those things that don't change, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. Within the veil, wait a minute, the veil was that curtain on the inner sanctuary of the, of the tabernacle, also of the temple. When they built the temple there in Jerusalem, they had a the similar sort of setup. And inside that inner sanctuary was where God lived. Jesus has entered into that which is within the veil. What's within the veil? The very presence of God the Father. He is the only one who could do that. And he has done that for us. As an anchor for, for my soul and yours. He has entered within that veil. Whether the forerunner for us is entered, even Jesus Christ, and high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He is my high priest. He's your high priest. He's the one you go to in time of need. He is the one who intercedes when we have sinned. He is the one that we go to as our advocate, if you will, our lawyer in, in God's court. He is the only one who can do that. He is our high priest. He makes sacrifices for us as he made a sacrifice for us for our sins. He paid the price. He was the propitiation for our sins, for yours and mine. And so he has the right to enter into that high place every single day. Now, you, well, how do you know that? Let's, let's turn to the book of, uh, let's see, there's three places. There's Matthew, Mark, and Luke that, that account, give this account. Uh, let's turn to Mark 15.38. Mark 15 and verse 38. This is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Verse 37 says, And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. He died on the cross. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. That veil between the holiest of holies and the rest of the temple was ripped in two from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top, from top to bottom. God did that. He destroyed that division that cut us off from God, God the Father himself. And Jesus entered into that holiest of holies as our high priest to represent us before God. So I I could read these other places in, in Matthew and Luke, but it says the same thing. That when Jesus gave up the ghost and died, that veil was rent in two. It was shredded, taken apart. So that God wasn't hiding from anybody. No one was kept from approaching the throne of God through Jesus Christ. It is only through Jesus Christ that we approach the throne of God. But that veil, that curtain has been torn apart now so that we can. And so now we have an advocate with the Father, a lawyer, somebody, a go-between, somebody that goes and represents us when we have sinned. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. Book of 1 John chapter 2 says my little children these things i write unto you that ye sin not and if any man sin we have an advocate with the father christ jesus christ the righteous and he is the propitiation the the expiation the full payment the complete resolution For our sins. And not ours only, but also for the sin of the whole world. For all of those who would by faith approach the throne of God and ask. To ask for forgiveness. And to have faith to believe that God can do this. Has done it through the mystery of Jesus Christ dying on the cross to pay the price of my sin, your sin, the world's sin, everyone's sin. God is able. And he has done it. All we need to do is enter in by faith and patience, lifelong belief, trusting in God, Turning from sin, realizing that who we are by nature, we are sinners. But God has loved us anyway and sent his son to die for me and for you and for the whole world. All he asks is that faith, that ongoing faith, a continual faith, a steady faith that's a big order for me it's a big order for you it was a big order for Abraham but for those who go on and receive the promises of God that's what's required it's required of me it's required of you We each have that choice. We're each responsible to God through Jesus Christ for what we do in our lives. And asking for direction. I mean, when you're lost, if you don't ask for direction, guess what? You'll stay lost. (laughs) You might blunder into some blind alley and get yourself in big trouble. But if you want to be saved from your own sin, there's only one place to go. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's all I ha- have to say about that. That's, all God- that's what God's Word says about it. What more can you ask? Brother Tyler, I'll turn the services over to you and... Let you take up from there. Thank you. (laughs) No. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> we were playing rules, We were go <laughs>
0: We have business meeting, we probably get it out and get started for you. excellency of love <clears throat> first corinthians chapter one start there in verse one uh, th- chapter 13 in verse one rather it says though i speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity i have become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and that I, though I have all faith so as I could remove mountains and have not charity, I have nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind, charity envieth not, charity vauneth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemingly, Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, and thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know it in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. We we understand that charity means love. I, I believe that in our study of the scripture that love is the crowning description of our New Testament relationship with the Lord and his people. The actions that we carry out, he mentions knowledge, wisdom, faith, speaking to others, if love isn't present, then we're counterfeit of sort. Because the world does all those things. But if they don't if they don't have love, they don't manifest the love of Christ. It looks and appears that way, but it's not the same as the love of Christ. But the admonition here was that Love is the crowning achievement of the Lord's work. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 18 is where we'll start. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 18. Since a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruit ye shall know them. Not one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out demons? And in thy name have done wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I will never knew you. Depart from me ye that work iniquity. Of course, a lot of that's talking about false teachers, but the same thing here. If we don't have that love and our service to the Lord, excuse me, I think I'm in the wrong verse. You ever do that? You write something down and you read it wrong? I do that quite often, y'all, so y'all do forgive me. I'm sorry. I'll get it out, though. What I intended to read was a little bit different, but nonetheless, the scripture that I intended to read talked about what what comes out of a man defiles him. There we go. That's what I'm looking for. So it wasn't that what we put in our body that defiles us. I know I read the scripture there about producing good fruit, and I believe that love is one of those fruits. If we don't produce that, that love and those attributes that come from the Lord, then we're, in essence, we're cast down and cast into the fire. We're, we're not producing those things which the Lord would have us to do. But anyways, in the scripture that I was wanting to read, talked about what we take in. It's not what we take in that defiles us, but what proceeds out of our heart that defiles us. And for some reason, I can't find that now. now. So regarding what we eat, that's not the problem. It's what proceeds out of our heart. And those things that proceed out of us are not the love of the Lord or the love of what we are to do as his people serving him then what comes out of us? It's not love, apparently, if we're not exemplifying those characteristics. But if that is the crowning crowning description of what the Lord's people is, then we should be exemplifying that according to the, the example that Christ led for us. Matthew chapter 18. We'll move on to the next point. Matthew chapter 18. Again, I apologize for that. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 7. says, Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that the offense comes, but woe to that man for whom the offense comes. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut it off and cast them, cast them from thee, it is better for thee to enter into life and halt halted or remained, rather than to having two hands or two feet to be cast in to everlasting fire. <clears throat> and if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. If it cast from thee, then it is better for thee to enter into life with one, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven... Their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. How think ye if a man have an hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray? Doth he not leave the ninety-nine, and goeth to the mountains, and seeketh that which one has gone astray? And if so, be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of the sheep than the ninety-nine which went not astray. Even so it is the will of your father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should not perish. Being careful of our conduct is one thing. Through our actions, we can cause others to stumble. I know one of the things that we discuss in life, and I always tell my wife, I like, do you know what you did? I'm like, or if I did something and I'm like, oh, I didn't think about that. Unintended consequence could hurt somebody or otherwise. So that's one of the hardest things to be, a, be aware. But my love for my daughter should help me be a little more aware of what's going on, right? So the same thing in our lives with our conduct. We need to be aware of, of those around us, our brothers and sisters in Christ, those that need to serve the Lord. Exhibiting that self-same love that Christ did for them so that they might see the good things that are in us and say, I would like to see that in me. I would hope that displaying love for those around us, uh, chief being those that visit us, those that we come into contact with, if we don't exhibit that same love to them, as Christ did for us, then how else can we expect them to serve the Lord if we're not exhibiting that self-same love that Christ did? It's They're not going to get it. So we are responsible in our service to God. Are, Are we exhibiting this concern for one another and for those that need to serve the Lord? Or do we have a double standard set? Don and I have been talking about double standards this week and I'm, I'm a little dense trying to get it. So, but double standard is when you set different set of rules for yourself and a different set of rules for others. And they fail to carry out what you think they should do while you're not doing the same thing. So those double standards can really get us in trouble. So it's easy for us to tie up those that are new converts in the faith, those that serve the Lord, that we kill them spiritually. We don't exhibit that love or that that which the Lord was talking about over there, and Paul was talking about over there in First Corinthians about those that serve the Lord. So where is our heart? Our heart presently. Let's go back over to 1 Corinthians again. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 again. <clears throat> Verse 3, it says, And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. It says, charity suffereth long and is kind, charity envieth not, charity vauneth itself not, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, uh, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, and thinketh no evil. So, these attributes are attributes of the Lord's people or should be. And he says there, if you don't do those things, if you Do all those things, but you haven't loved, then you have nothing. Paul gave up his life to serve the Lord, didn't he? Christ gave his life up so that we might have a way, a better way to salvation. Follow those examples. Those are the examples we should follow. The rich young ruler, which we talked about last week, we see the account there. He was told, he says, I've watched you. Have you done all these things? He says, Yes, I've done all these things for my youth on up. What did he say? Sell all that you have. Follow after me. And what did he do? He left sorrowful because he had many things. We love the Lord like we think we do. We wouldn't have had, any, we shouldn't have any trouble giving up those things and moving on to follow the Lord. Jesus could have had anything he wanted, but what did he want? He wanted what the Father wanted him to do. He loved the Father enough that he did what he wanted him to do. First John chapter one. 1 John chapter one. <clears throat> and starting in verse one of First John chapter one, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, and which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show it unto you. that that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son Jesus Christ. And these things we write unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which you have heard of him and it's declared unto you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not have the truth. And if we walk in light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sins. And if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. John includes such as the witness of his love for the church, the people that assemble together. That we bear witness of the truth mentioned regarding our service. So how do we demonstrate such love? By doing as the Lord has called us to. Having care and concern and regard for one another and their well-being. Paul visited these churches and taught the disciples who would serve go on to serve the Lord and worked tirelessly on his God-given commission. That was his labor of love. That was how the Lord intended for him to demonstrate that love. This is our self-same duty. Let's turn back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 again. Just so we get this, get 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 what this is saying here. He says, in verse four, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself; it is not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemingly, or seeketh not her own, and it is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, and hopeeth all things, and endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecy, there shall fail; whether there be tongues, they shall cease; and whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So, again, in these first couple, these these verses here, it suffereth long. How often did Peter, uh, did Paul, subject himself to the torture of men, just because he loved doing what the Lord called him to do? We we don't understand the difficulties that Brother Paul faced. We don't see those things in this country this day and age. We get a little upset when people tell us that we don't approve of homosexuality, or we don't approve of this. And we get a little upset we're being persecuted, but we don't know what persecution truly is. To love our enemies despite what they throw at us. I get upset when somebody cuts me off on the freeway, but Donna, Donna and I, we had an instance yesterday. I was trying to get something fixed in the car, and I pulled over on the side of the interstate. And I got out and ran around the car to fix Jubilee's car seat. And I got so upset at this guy that that come got this close to the line. That I'm trying to walk around the vehicle, and I says he ought to know that I'm supposed. To, I'm walking here. Well, Donna's like, what are you upset about? He didn't hit you. You did not <laughs> You're, you're the one walking around the side. I'm like, well you're 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 right. I didn't want to admit it, but but she was right. She's like You do the same thing. You can't say anything until you talk to do the same thing. I was like, Yes, dear. That's why my wife is wonderful. She loves me despite my flaws. <laughs> but Brother Paul, back on the subject without chasing rabbits and talking about Donna. This is our this is our self same duty here. We we need to not seek our own, not be not be provoked. We can't show our, demonstrate our love if we're mad or fuming at other people and causing problems. They don't they won't see any love there, will they? Let's look at Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter 6. Just a, just two verses there. Verse 1 and verse 2. It says, Take heed that ye do not do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. And that they have the glory of men, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. That's not love, is it? To do your things before men just for their honor and glory. Service of the Lord is just like what Jesus did. He didn't come wanting the applause or the, the, the kudos of men. He came to do the work of his father because he loved him. And the father loved him. That's the perfect demonstration of love. Scripture talks about going to offer a sacrifice. And if we have a problem with a brother, first go make it right with the brother before we go and offer the sacrifice. Why? It's because we love a brother. And Scripture says if we can't even love our brother, then how can we love, love our God? Helping our brothers and sisters in Christ, helping those that need help, the sick, those, etc. that the scripture talks about is important. But it should be a demonstration of that love we have for them seeing that the Lord is good. And not just so that we can receive a reward that comes with it, but because we love the Lord for who he is and what he's done for us. Let's look at Proverbs 17. I knew I wouldn't get all the way through this chapter. I, I just knew it wasn't going to happen, y'all. Y'all so have to put up with me for one more one more Sunday preaching about this. That's what the Lord will have me to do. Proverbs chapter 17, verses nine and ten says, He that covereth a uh, transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. A reproof entereth more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. What's he talking about there? What does he mean by he that covereth a transgression seeketh love? I think if how many times I've done something wrong myself. I uh, think about myself because that's what I have to go off of most days. I, I live with Donna and Donna lives with me. And The one thing I've noticed is that sometimes despite my flaws, Donna still loves me. I may do something wrong and she'll be upset with me, but she's like, you need to do it this way. She wants me to do better. So she demonstrates it for me. Sometimes my head is a little, you know, skull's a little thick and I can't get that, but you know, she still continues to be patient with me despite my thick-headedness. I don't know, I think that's kind of a demonstration of love. You cover up that, cover up that transgression there, that shortcoming. The problem is where you repeat the matter. I have a lot to learn there. So what's the point here? We love each other well enough. There are some things that we ought to be willing to forgive them for, right? Doesn't mean that we can't show them what's wrong and what's right. Right? But the Lord loved us enough to cover up our transgressions. Despite how sinful of nature we are. So what's the what's the, the verdict there? We don't need to go on perpetuating those things that the Lord's covered up because he loves us. And he goes on there in verse in the next verse he says, And a reproof entereth more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool keep carrying it out. <laughs> what happens? Wise man gets it, the foolish man does it. So, concealing or filling up our transgressions, this is love. Doesn't mean that we need to continue, com- you know, committing those transgressions. But again, our Lord loved us enough that he was willing to conceal our sins for our betterment. To provide a better way or a better path to salvation for us. Through his death, burial, and resurrection. And what he asks of us is far less than he than He gave up for us. All he asks from us is our obedience. Our love. And our commitment to serve him. Is that so much to ask? Some days I think we put a little more too much trouble on it than we we should. I think it's we make it so much harder on ourselves serving the Lord. That's the purpose of the other things that we see in the scripture. Prayer. Encouraging one another, uplifting one another. Those are demonstrations of love, our care and concern for one another. You know, Brother Tony, Brother Ed, the things that y'all have gone through in the last little bit, those things are what we pray for because we love you. We want those things to get better. We know the Lord can make those things better. Sister Jean and Joe, the things that y'all been through, we love and, they love and care we have for one another. We pray for one another. We go and physically help each other because we love one another. These things are what what make our service to the Lord worthwhile. Our hearts focused on those things. The excellency of love. And there are benefits to love too. Let's turn back over to First Corinthians chapter thirteen and we'll close. So what is what is our heart? Is our heart give me love. Thank you, Tony. First Corinthians chapter 13, and we'll close. Starting in verse 6 there, it says, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endure all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecy, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. So, when something bad is done, do we rejoice in it? No, we don't. It should cause us to be sorrowful because on behalf of the one we love. He says, but rejoice in the truth what's the truth beareth all things believe all things hopeth all things endureth all things mm-hmm. love does all these things <laughs> and it says there in the beginning of verse 8 charity lover, faileth. love does not fail there are many things in life that fail us but love doesn't fail us If love failed us, then we wouldn't have had a better opportunity to serve the Lord today as we do. Love is an excellent gift that we need to utilize more thoroughly. Love is just like our faith, too we're perfecting that as, as it goes on. It's a continual, ongoing process in our faith. We have the opportunity to demonstrate that love by following the example that Christ provided us. So are we demonstrating it? Are we living it? And if we're not living it, are we looking out to find out what we're not doing to do it more perfectly? And I'm not talking about perfection without flaw. I'm talking about more completely. Because the Lord has called us to do these things and love is that crowning achievement there. So let us think on these things. How we might exercise our love and how we might do these things but would honor and glorify the Lord more appropriately. And not doing for ourselves, but for serving the Lord. Well, that's all I have for you this morning. I hope that that's, it's been an encouragement for you. And I made it right on the mark.